our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen and amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, get it out with me. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. We just decided right then. I was just trying to pray about it. We will do chapter 10. I thought about it, but we'll, we'll stay the course. I'm really glad that you're here today. Uh, welcome to this family gathering of Crossroad. We are really glad to have you here. If you're a part of our church family, uh, welcome. If you're a guest with us today, we're really glad that you're here hanging out with us. Uh, we hope if you don't have a church family, you would consider making this your church family. We really strive to be that. Uh, we're not trying to put on a show for anybody here or impress anyone. We really just want to love each other well and love the Lord and serve Him. So that's really what we we're about. If I don't know you, I would love to meet you. I will be right back there. You can't miss me. I'm the big goofy guy with the Texas accent, all right? I will be right back there after church, so uh, come and meet me. I would love to have the opportunity to shake your hand and meet you. Uh, listen, prayer is something that I've really been engaged in a lot, especially uh, I had a late night prayer meeting that ended up at about 11.05 p.m. Uh, last night when Jose Altuve hit a home run uh, to walk off that ball game. It was an intense prayer meeting, y'all. Lots of prayer, lots of prayer. Uh, but, but no, and not only then, the other thing, you know, speaking of prayer, so I've mentioned the Astros, pray for them. The second prayer request I have for you is this. Trunk or Treat is this Saturday, okay? Trunk or Treat is a huge event at our church. And let me just tell you, we don't do events just to do events, okay? Uh, it is fun. We have a good time. There will probably be thousands of people here, if not thousands, hundreds. And we're going to love on whoever the Lord sends here. But here's what I, I want to ask you to do. If you're not already involved, I'd love for you to come. And here's what we want you to know. This is not just something we're trying to impress people. I think sometimes uh, I've seen this happen when you do a big event, like you look the next Sunday and say, well, it doesn't look like a whole lot more people came. We're not doing this event so we can have a lot more people. Can I tell you what we're doing? We're doing this event to let this community and this neighborhood know that we're here for them and that we love them and we want to serve them. Because there will be days where, uh, you know how it is, when things go rough in your life, you look to those people who have reached out to you and who have cared for you. We want to be that place for our neighborhood. There are 20,000 people within two miles of this building. The reality is there are tons of people who need Jesus, and we want to be ready, uh, and we want to reach out to them in such a way that they are excited about turning here so that we can lead them to Jesus where they need to ultimately turn. So pray about coming and hanging out, and remember, you are on kingdom assignment when you're at Trunk or Treat. We're not just coming to collect as much candy as possible. Yes, I will be collecting a candy tax on any 
peanut M&Ms or Reese's. That's just granted, right? But after that, I'll let the kids go and have a great time and enjoy their evening. But we want you to be here and be ready and be just be the hands and feet of Jesus, okay? So this isn't an event for us to just come and hang out. This is an opportunity for us to reach out to people and make an impact far beyond ourselves, okay? With all that said, we are talking about prayer, not only this week, but for the next several weeks. We've been walking through the Gospel of Luke. We will continue to do so for the next few weeks, but then we'll actually depart from the Gospel of Luke for a few weeks to see some other passages about prayer as we think about what it means to be a people of prayer. If you have been here, though, the last several months as we've walked through Luke, we've seen a very clear call from the gospel to be people who are in this process called discipleship. Now, discipleship simply means following Jesus. So we've seen really story after story, narrative after narrative, text after text, where the Bible has clearly commanded us to be people who are reaching out to others around us, who are following Jesus in obedience to his commands, who are serving people, loving the least of these, reaching the marginalized in our world just like Jesus did. We have seen so many of those calls to do that over the last several months. But what's interesting to me is that today, it's almost going to seem like today's passage is the opposite message. Because today's passage is going to essentially say, hey, you may need to stop down and sit for a minute. And it almost seems counterintuitive and opposite of what Jesus has been saying. But what I want us to understand this morning is that it's not actually the opposite. But rather, if we are going to be people who accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ, then we must be people who are saturated with the presence of Jesus Christ. We need to be people who have a real relationship with the real and living Savior. I'm convinced that this doesn't just happen. You can't just show up at church and check off the right boxes and be like, boom, I've been filled with the presence of Christ. No, it takes intentionality on our parts to press in to Jesus and be saturated with his presence. So that's what this series is going to be all about. Let me just level with you on the, this, the front end of today's message. Next week is when things will start to get a little more practical. So if you're looking for a list of how-tos, this isn't going to be your message, okay? Uh, but what we're doing today is really talking about the heart of of prayer and the heart of prayer is having a life that is shaped by the presence of Jesus Christ. So with all of this in mind, let's get to our text. We'll read in verse 38 of Luke 10 and then we'll pray together and ask the Lord to help us develop a heart of prayer. Verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray that we would be people who choose the good portion, our world, our culture, the enemy wants to distract us and keep us away from the thing that really makes us most powerful for your kingdom's work, and that is a life shaped by your presence. That is this miracle that is prayer. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to develop a heart for you that would go beyond distractions, but Lord, that instead would give us a 
Holy Spirit-enabled focus upon you and your mission. That's what we need today. We love you and we thank you for what you're gonna do. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but life seems to be as busy as it's ever been. I've told you this before, the number one response I get when I ask people, how are you? Which is a pretty common, generic, uh, you know, just what's going on, how you doing? Busy is almost the immediate response I get from everybody. And what's weird, I had a, a couple weeks ago, I had like a study sabbatical where I was gone for a week. And I'll just tell you, when I'm not busy, I worry about when I'm going to be busy. Anybody else? Like, I have a day off and I'm like, man, tomorrow's going to be rough. Like, I'm, wor- I'm like, I get pre-busy and I get worried about being pre-busy. Like, it's just what happens in my head for whatever reason. We are as busy as we have ever been before, but the reality is we can be so busy and running around so much that I think we never really consider the presence of the Lord. In fact, let's do something really kind of different and weird. Everyone take a deep breath. Didn't didn't that feel good? Like some of you should try that more often, right? Like I, I did this, like I'm reading through my notes last night and I actually took a deep breath and I was like, huh, it's neat. I should try that every now and then. My watch has been trying to tell me to do that every hour, and I'm like, mind your own business. I'm working, right? Anybody else have an Apple Watch, and it's like, take a moment and breathe. And I'm like, uh, thanks. I got that, you know? It also will occasionally tap me and say, hey, at 9, 9.45 at night, if you took a three-hour walk, you would close your calorie goal for the day. And I'm like, mind your business, Siri. Take it off. Throw it against the wall. This is my third Apple Watch. All right, anyways, just kidding. <laughs> What were we talking about? Oh, busy, right? Uh, And we're talking about focus today, too, so this is going to be great, right up my alley, clearly. But the reality is, in a really busy world, when you stop and take a breath, like that moment, we feel that, don't we? And it's something that we don't do very often. As we take a deep breath, here's the reality of what's happening behind the scenes. Your heart is beating anywhere between 60-ish to 100-ish beats per minute, pumping over a gallon of oxygenated blood all through your body, and that is keeping you alive and keeping you going. But here's the crazy thing. The Bible says that the very God who spoke creation into existence and spoke you into existence is also holding you together right now, that he is the one who is allowing you to function and live. But not only you, seven and a half billion other people on this planet, the creator of all things, spoke the world into existence and is holding not only seven and a half billion people, but all of the universe together, the Bible says, by the word of his immovable power. That is the God that we worship. And that same God, that same word is not just a mythical, mystical, religious security blanket kind of thing, but this God is a real and present God. I think it's important that we understand this today. We talk about the transcendence of God, and let me just tell you, that is totally 100% true. We have a God who is so high above us, so far beyond us, beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding. He is so high above us, yet the Bible also tells us that this transcendent God is a personal God. That the God of all creation who is holding this entire universe together, including you, wants to have a relationship with you. That is an astounding thing to stop and think about. He's a transcendent God, yet he's also a personal God. And I believe that the link there that we miss so often is prayer. 
Our personal experience with the transcendent God starts with the gospel of Jesus Christ when he saves us, but we grow in that personal relationship with him through prayer. I think we're guilty most of the time, most believers, including myself, oftentimes of living as if Jesus is far off, like he's out there watching us. But the reality is, we serve a God who wants to be with us and have a relationship with us. It's an astounding thing to think about. So we look at this text, we're going to think about what it means to have a life shaped by the presence of Jesus. Even though most of us say we believe that. Yes, the, the amazingly awesome, high, mighty God wants to have a relationship with us. Even though we say that, the reality is I think most people live as if Jesus isn't actually here. And that's really what causes this weird disconnect in our culture between people who talk about God and people who've experienced God. Listen, I told the first service and I'll say it again. We believe that Jesus is actually here. And that's why this, this isn't a show. You need to know that. Like our, our worship team does such an amazing job. God has gifted them and they're capable of putting on a show. But you know what? All of this isn't for you. But we are worshiping God together. And we believe that when we gather together as a family, that's earlier you heard me say, welcome to this family gathering. We believe that. We're not trying to put on a show so that we can get more people to come to the show. I mean, listen, that's not what we're about. But instead, we come together as a family and we say, God, we just want to worship you together. So we're going to sing some songs that come from your word and remind us of your truth and declare these truths to you. Some of the songs are reminding us of truth that we need to have drilled down into our heart. And then we're going to open the word and let God speak to us. And we do all of that believing that he is actually here. How many of you came to church today saying, I'm going to encounter God? Listen, it's one of those things, you you try to be careful. I feel like uh, God has given me just gifts for branding and marketing. I've always enjoyed that. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a marketer. It's just something I've always enjoyed doing. But can I tell you something? You can market and make a church look really cool and really impressive. You cannot market God, though. There are a lot of churches that right now it may be you, you, there may be a pretty awesome thing going on. And, and I told Pastor Lathaniel at first service, we're joking. We're like, hey, if you ever come to Crossroad and there's one service that's real slick and we nail everything, come back the next week and you'll see that most of the time it's not a perfect thing. But that's not what we're about anyway. We are about gathering together to worship the Lord because we believe he's here. And church, if he's here, that changes everything. So the question that I want to ask you today is this. Are we living a life shaped by the presence of God? Are we living lives that are shaped by the presence of Jesus? It's imperative that we answer this question today. If Jesus is really here, then that changes everything. So it's with this question in mind that we walk into this story that we read. If you have a church background, I know this is probably pretty familiar to you, but we have Jesus going into a village and he goes to the house of Mary and Martha. And as he arrives, it says that Martha was distracted with much serving. She's doing a lot of things and Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and just soaks up some Jesus time. 
Now, Martha, when we read this text, you immediately kind of identify her as that lady. You know the one I'm talking about? Like you walk into her house and it smells like fresh baked cookies and looks like Southern Living or Better Homes and Gardens just came to life in front of you, right? I got in trouble in the first service. My wife was sitting right there, so I'm just going to tell you I said this in front of her. I used to say that if you gave my wife 10 minutes, if you called and said, hey, we're going to come by the house, she could turn our house with toddlers living in it into better homes and gardens in like 10 minutes. Any of you have that gift? Like, it's crazy how quick that happens. Where I got in trouble is that I said, some more of you should come to my house. Here's my address. And then everyone's like, boo. They supported my wife, so I appreciate that. Uh, they had her back. It just became very obvious whose back is had in this situation. That's all I'm saying, all right? So, so pray for me. Uh, but anyways, it, it just happens, so, you know, we think that she must be one of these people who's really into homemaking and making everything look awesome at their house. But what you need to understand is that that's our Western context. In the, for the original people who read this story, that's not unusual. That is actually just hospitality. That is what it meant to host people in their homes in the Jewish culture at this time. Hospitality was one of the hallmarks of moral responsibility in the culture in which Luke 10 was written. So here's what usually happens, and this is interesting to me because I've even taught it this way. We very quickly assign a good guy and a bad guy in this story, don't we? We do that in all things, and it's usually pretty dangerous, but back to this passage. Who's the good guy? Mary, right? She's at the feet of Jesus, just soaking up some Jesus time, and we're like, yes and amen. Who's the bad guy? Martha, like, Martha, how embarrassing. Like, Jesus is in your living room and you're running around trying to do all kinds of things and ignoring the Savior. I can't believe you would do that. It's wild. But here's what you need to know for the original readers of Luke's gospel and for the people who were there witnessing this situation, it would actually be the opposite. The truth is they would look and see Mary as the bad guy and Martha as the good guy because the reality in this culture, they said that hospitality was of the utmost importance. That if you were going to be, a, even the Lord himself honored those who were hospitable, hospitable, you know what I'm trying to say, who were hospitable to people. Those who they took care of and loved well, they rolled out the red carpet for guests, even strangers in this culture let alone an up-and-coming teacher and uh, someone who they even then were beginning to recognize was the Savior of the world. So let me just tell you, those gathered in the house watching all of this go down, they weren't saying, oh, Martha, you're so busy serving. No, I promise you, they were saying, what is Mary doing? How embarrassing. Jesus came to her house and she just sat down. I, I, who, are you going to say something? I mean, somebody needs to say something. If you don't tell her, I'm going to tell her. Finally, enough was enough. Martha says, Jesus, aren't you going to tell her to get up? Like, have you ever been in that, that kind of situation where you're like, somebody needs to say something. Somebody, and then somebody finally speaks up. She's like, you need to tell her to get up and serve. And Jesus in that moment says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. That was a shocking statement. Again, for us, we're like, oh, yes and amen. I need to start having my quiet time. But in this culture, this was absolutely shocking. Martha was doing the good thing. She was honoring the spirit of the law that says take care of your neighbor. She was doing even the quote-unquote godly thing in this situation. 
And Jesus calls her anxious and troubled. It's interesting to me. Martha was so distracted with much serving, Luke tells us. She was distracted by the cultural, religious, and worldly expectations that were placed on her that she couldn't even experience the Savior of the world who was sitting in her living room. Now, friends, that ought to get hidden close to home on you. So distracted by the things of the world, so distracted by the expectations of the culture around her that she couldn't even experience the Savior that was sitting in her living room. If we're going to have lives shaped by the presence of Jesus, the first thing we need to understand this morning is we need to turn our distractions into opportunities. We need to turn our distractions into opportunities. We see early in the text that it said Martha was distracted by much serving. But as we've already said, didn't, she was actually doing the right thing. Being hospitable was a good thing. So why is she here not doing what she's, she's doing what she's supposed to be doing? And Luke says she was distracted. Why is that? It's because sometimes even the good things in our life can become distractions when they're elevated above the place of Jesus. Let's go to that next slide. The next slide says there that we need to turn our distractions into opportunities for worship. Here's the thing. I've seen this happen way too many times in my life. God gives us a lot of blessings God gives us a lot of really good things in our lives. But ultimately, we end up using those things for distraction instead of for worship. Think about the world of distraction we live in. Two weeks ago, do you remember we talked about our phones for a few minutes, right? The average person checks their phone 80 times a day. And that was from an article in 2017. I bet that number's significantly gone up. An article I read the other day said 10 times an hour per waking hour. We look at our phones all the time. I don't have, first service when I did this, I actually had a notification and I was like, "Ah," you know, because we are just wired for distraction now. And I know some of you in here are like, yep, that's why I don't do those whole smartphone things. Can I tell you cable news counts as well? Uh, Old episodes of MASH, like I'm just trying to hit everybody. We are distracted. Yeah, (laughs) got them, you know, (laughs) you're looking around. Is everybody convicted? (laughs) Uh, oh, you're not? Let me try to guess a few. No, 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 that gets dangerous. <laughs> Sorry. I just wasn't expecting Leon. I got him. I got him on MASH. He was like, oh, man. Thought he was good until I said something about MASH, and it just got him. Here's the thing. All of us are distracted by a lot of things. Television, social media, work, the news, our kids, toddlers. Now listen, that list I just said, notice some of those things are not what we would consider bad things, right? Like I could probably preach a message against television and social media and make that happen. We'd all leave feeling convicted and probably still go home and watch TV today, but that's all right, right? But you're not going to hear me preach a message against toddlers anytime soon. Now don't get me wrong, I could. Got a couple in my back pocket ready to go, man. Got them kids, you know? So, So here's the thing. Even these good things that God has blessed us with, they're actually blessings. But when these blessings that God has blessed us with are elevated to a place where they're above Jesus, those blessings turn into distractions. 
This happens in a lot of different areas of my life, even the things we've just mentioned. Let's talk about work. God has provided work so that we can provide for our families. Work is a blessing from God. Some of you need to hear this because tomorrow when you're driving to work, you need to know it's a blessing from the Lord. Work is a blessing from God to be able to provide for our families and even provide for kingdom work. It's something that God has given us. But listen, when that blessing is elevated above the place of Christ and his presence in your life, then all of a sudden it becomes a distraction and it can mess up not only your relationship with the Lord, but your relationship with your family. God gave you a job so that you could provide for your family. Then all of a sudden it's actually ended up taken away from your family, the opposite of what it was intended to do. I love technology. I love my phone, man. Here's the cool thing. God has allowed me to, y'all, y'all called me to come be your pastor. I am 10 to 12 hours away from the bulk of my family in Southeast Texas. And, and here's the crazy thing. 20 years ago, this would look wildly different than it does today. But I just pulled out my phone and, and this week, I mean, we can like FaceTime my parents. Like my kids know their grandparents really, really well and have never lived in the same town as them. That's an astounding thing. I'm so thankful for this technology. But when it gets elevated to a place where it's distracting me from my time with the Lord and my time with my family, a blessing that could connect me with my family and even connect me with the Lord. There's a lot of cool things on here for that as well. When it's elevated to that place, it becomes a distraction instead of helping us. Do you see where we're going with this? I can keep going, but I think you're smart and I think you're catching on, right? When God gives us blessings and we worship those blessings instead of the God who gave us those blessings, they become distractions that take us away from him. And that's a dangerous place for us to be. Just like Martha, everyday life things can cause us to miss out on Jesus. The blessings actually become burdens to us. You can't get rid of your toddlers You can't quit your job. The call is not to do those things, but the call is to use those, even those things, recognize them for what they are, the blessings of God, and use them as opportunities to worship. This is where it falls apart for us, though, because when you zoom into our hearts, so many of us have elevated the blessings of God into a place where they've become idols in our lives. And when they're idols in our lives, when they are elevated above where they should be, they take away from what we're actually supposed to be doing, which is living a life shaped by the presence of Jesus. We see this with Martha. Martha's doing a great thing. She's fulfilling the spirit of the law. She is being hospitable. She is doing what even the godly culture told her she should do. And yet Jesus said, you're distracted because it had gotten to the point where she was ignoring Jesus because of even the gifting that God had given her. You know, hospitality is mentioned as a gift God gives us, Right? And it can become elevated to a point where it takes us away from what God wants us to do. I think this is important for some of you to hear today. Maybe you're trying to do good things. Maybe you're trying to be good people. Maybe you're uh, trying to be who God wants you to be. But here's what I want to tell you. This is where we get it wrong. Jesus doesn't want your good works. Jesus doesn't need your good works. He wants you. He wants you. He wants to have a real relationship with you. He says, sit down. In in a world of frantic activity, he says, sit down. You can't impress me, but good news, you don't have to. Are you living a life dominated by distractions today? 
Are you worshiping the gifts that God has given you to the point that you have forgotten about Jesus? Is Jesus sitting in your living room today and you're too busy working for Jesus that you haven't even spent time with Jesus? Friends, this can happen to us so quickly. We need to turn these distractions into opportunities for worship. How do we do that? So how do we get these distractions back into the place where they're healthy and they're blessings in our lives? How do we do that? By spending time with Jesus. By spending time with Jesus. Now I know you're right now, you're like, did this guy even go to seminary? That is so basic. And it is, but, but wouldn't you be honest with me today and, and tell me that we all struggle with this a little bit? I think we talk about this a lot. I think we, you know, we love a good sermon about this or a good book or a good podcast. But when it comes time, do we actually spend time with Jesus? Verse 42, Jesus says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Jesus is telling Martha, He's telling the people in the room, and because of Luke's gospel, he's telling us today that he must be the priority of our lives. I think we generally hear this as a really sweet thing, and it is, that the God of all creation, this transcendent God, wants us to sit down and share our hearts with him. That is a really sweet thing, but don't miss the strong language Jesus uses. He says, one thing is necessary. Don't miss this. There's a lot of important things in the world. There are a lot of things that could have our attention, our focus, our time, our energy, but there's one thing that is necessary, and it's the one thing we need the most, and that one thing is the presence of Jesus Christ. This thought really turns every single culture's norms on its head. Every single culture. In the context of Luke 10... The culture says, hey, there's company at your house. You better be serving. You better be working. You better be doing the right things. But the Christ followers are found sitting at the feet of Jesus. In our modern context, let's bring this into today. What does our culture say is the most important thing in our lives? What does our culture say we must be about? I would probably sum it up in what has just been called the American dream. The idea that we want to do better and better at our jobs, we want to make more money so that we can have bigger and better things and stuff, and we want to raise awesome children, and we want to be happy and successful, and if we play our cards right, we'll be able to stop working one day and enjoy all the stuff we've been able to buy, and all of our kids will be doing well and perfect, and everything will be well and good. Those are the necessary things according to our culture. The Christ follower has a different life entirely. Instead of taking that approach, Christ followers say, I want to orient my life around Jesus and his mission. Everything in my life. So for some, this looks like maybe not enrolling your kids in 80 things, but instead saying we're going to take a stand for corporate worship because we believe gathering together with the family of God is of the utmost importance. For some people, this means, you know, I'm not going to spend my money always in pursuit of bigger and better and more. Bigger homes, bigger vehicles, the best electronic devices. No, these people intentionally seek to spend every dollar for Christ and his cause. 
See, this is an entirely different way to live, isn't it? And this is really the call of Christ today. This passage is way more serious than we've made it in the past, isn't it? You thought today was going to be like, hey guys, you should have a quiet time. But this is way more than like reading Jesus Calling, which I wouldn't recommend that anyways. It's another conversation. Or Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. Like, I like, listen, this isn't just saying, hey, read a devotional. Get on the Bible app and read a verse of the day and move on with your life. No, no. Jesus is calling us to radically reorient our life around him. To radically change everything in our life in a culture that says, do this, do that. Your life needs this. If you're going to be happy and successful, you need this, that, and this. In a world that's constantly telling us who we should be, that we say, no. I'm going to sit down at the feet of Jesus and I want to be who he says I should be. I want my family to be who he says our family should be. I want our church to be who he says our church should be. That's the call of this passage. Now, I need you to know my heart today, and really way more importantly than knowing my heart, I need you to know the heart of Jesus. Jesus is not saying, hey, you bunch of sinners, pay more attention to me. It's not what Jesus is doing here. Do you see the compassion and love he has as he speaks to Martha? Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. You know what Jesus is basically saying? How's all that serving working out for you? Can I just tell you, if you're honest with yourself, if you're chasing the things of this world, if you're chasing what the culture tells you should be, if you're even chasing what church culture tells you you ought to be, and you're trying to do all these things, I know that I find myself trying to raise perfect kids. I find myself trying to be an awesome pastor. I find myself trying to be all things to all people. And even then, you don't usually make everybody happy. In fact, you probably never make everybody happy. I try to do everything as perfectly as I can. I try to save money so that I can take care of my family well. I try to provide with my house. I try to do all these things. And at the end of the day, can I just tell you that it is exhausting? It's exhausting. And I know that a lot of you are just like me. Your Facebook page may make it look like you're killing it and doing real good, but I know that there are moments in your life where you say, this isn't working. Can I tell you that Jesus speaks into the middle of that and says, stop. Sit down at my feet and let what happens here shape the rest of your life. This is a radical call to live a life oriented around Christ and his mission. Jesus isn't trying to give us one more thing to do. If you're exhausted today, if you're anxious and troubled about many things, if you're tired and weary, if you're spiritually worn out, maybe you're physically worn out, can I just tell you, Jesus isn't trying to say, yeah, do all that stuff and also pray more. That's not what this message is. But instead, this is a call to rethink everything from the position of being shaped by his presence. I'm convinced of this. The more we do this, the more we make spending time with Jesus a priority, the more that we will see him doing in us and through us. Because the way we connect with the transcendent God and tap into the power of God and the peace of God and all of these things that surpass understanding, the Bible tells us, 
is prayer. Prayer is what brings the transcendent God personal to us. Because listen, just like God's been telling us for the last several months, there is a great mission to be accomplished. But you can't do it on your own. You, you don't need me to try to come up with some cool ideas to, to make our church grow. Some of that stuff may work for a few minutes, but at the end of the day, the only thing that will last is us being so radically changed by Jesus that we can't help but encounter others. And when they see us, they'll know we've been with Jesus. It's one of my favorite verses in all of scripture in the book of Acts. Do you remember where they encountered the disciples? And they said, these guys are uneducated, ordinary men. But they knew they had been with Jesus. Has anybody ever said that about you? Has anybody said, I'll tell you something, that guy's been with Jesus. I want people to say that about me. If you hung out with me the last few days, you'd be like, man, that guy really cares about baseball too much. Man, this guy really loves his kids. Man, this guy is really into this pastoring thing. This guy really cares about his church. Notice some of those things are good things. But can I tell you what I, I'm convicted of right now and what I'm asking the Lord to help me? I want people to know that I've been with Jesus. I, I want to end today's message with just something personal that the Lord's been teaching me lately that I hope is an encouragement to you. I'm trying to do less things for Jesus and more things with Jesus. Now, some of you are like, that's just semantics. He's trying to show us he went to seminary, but let me explain what I'm saying. After, after that last point, I got to do something, right? No, listen. We tend to live again as if Jesus is out there. And I know I do. I, I'm a pastor, and I know that in my head, I know this isn't right, but I live as if God is up there with a scoreboard, and when I do really good things, like right now, God's like, wow, there was a game that was on till midnight. This dude still studied, and he's preaching this message. He's getting some points. Rusty reached out to his neighbor today. He reached out to that person who reached out to him. Rusty's doing the, oh, wow, he, he gets some points. He didn't yell at his kids today. Uh, he's getting some points. And I live as if God is keeping some kind of heavenly ledger. And then I have a bad day, and he's like, ooh, right? And mark it on the bad end. And I live as if God is up there keeping score. But here's what you need to know. God does not need me to do any things for him. There is nothing I could do for him that would make a difference in the way he loves me. In fact, the Bible says that the very best thing that I ever could do on this earth are as filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. Like the thing that when I get to heaven that I would say, hey, I notice up there on the top line of my spiritual resume, yeah, I pastored Crossroad. That was a tough people. To, I mean, points, all right? No, the very best thing that you do on this earth is his filthy rags before him. But here's the good news. You don't have to do good things for God. He wants us to do things with him. See how this changes things? So you know what? Jesus wants people who will go to work with Jesus. And that changes the way you go to work. I want to raise my family with Jesus. I want to have conversations with my neighbors with Jesus. And when you realize that Jesus is with you all the time, it changes the way that you live your life. Are you doing life with Jesus today? If you're tired, if you're burnt out this morning, I've got good news for you. 
The scoreboard was turned off 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead victorious over sin and death. Jesus came to this earth. He took on flesh. He did what you and I could never do. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He loved us so much. This transcendent God loved us so much that he died on the cross for our sins so that we could have life and we could have a real relationship with him. And church family, what I want us to learn and experience through this series is that personal relationship. Some of you, I believe, gave your life to Christ at some point, but you still have not been walking with a personal Jesus. If you know Jesus today, it's time for you to start walking with Jesus. Will you walk with him today? You bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. God, I just pray for every one of my friends here, my family, my brothers and sisters. God, we do live in a world of so many distractions, so many things that pull us away and pull us in different directions. Yet, God, I pray that today we would be people who are shaped by your presence. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody who doesn't know you, that they would come to know you because you are a personal God who desires to have a real relationship with us. I pray for people in here who may know you, but, but just like we said, they, they know you, but they haven't been walking with you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for the new life that you've given us. Or thank you that we don't have to earn your love because we never could anyway. But you love us so much that you came and did what we could never do so that we can have a relationship with you. So God, may we never take that for granted. May we walk out of here today convinced of your personal presence with us and may we acknowledge that through prayer. As we go through these next several weeks, my prayer is what the next verse of scripture and the disciples asked you to teach them to pray. Lord, would you teach us to pray so that we can be shaped by your presence?